Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, Brazil. Brazil! Probably the first time in a long time that we've only covered one country. Uh, it's a big election going on that for some reason isn't getting a whole lot of coverage here. Yeah, and it considering it's sort of, yeah, it's like massively complicated diving into it. Like this election is rooted in years of buildup, so it's that is worth knowing about. So if you want to see some coverage of Romania and the election yes. that they're having, um, there will be a write up in our newsletter. And if you haven't, if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, uh, send us an email, uh, probopolitics at gmail dot com, or tweet us, and we'll get you on the newsletter. Yeah, it'll be a good good newsletter feature. Uh, it's a pretty exciting exciting might be the wrong word, but it's a it's a constitutional referendum, and it's a pretty big deal. Um, and we have a guest writer for it, I believe. If not, Alex guess. will edit this out. <laughs> no, we do have a we do have a guest for this, um, and I think this is a probably about politics first. We're expanding outside of Kaylee and I. Uh, and if you want to write for us, if you have a country that you're interested in that you want to write 250 to a thousand words about, <laughs> <laughs> and have. 10 to 2 million people look at it yeah vague numbers send it to us yeah i mean we could it could go crazy if you write something if you write something good yeah give us look we have no standards yet for (laughs) uh submissions so really take a crack at it all right but this week we're talking about brazil before we get there kaylee what happened to uh jacinda ardern this this week Prime Minister of New Zealand for those who are living under a rock and yeah. not paying attention to clearly what we not about. true fans of probably about politics. <laughs> um, well, as uh, some of our readers may know, the UN uh, there was lots of action there, and Jacinda was in town in uh, New York City for it. It's not just Jacinda, the whole fam jam. Uh, yeah, everyone came, and so she was apparently uh, was the first uh, baby. She, she was the first person to bring a, a baby and leader to bring a baby into the UN. Yeah, I'm, and I'm generally pretty pro Jacinda. Not entirely sure if uh, the legislative assembly is or the general assembly is the place for a baby, but you know what? Look, y- go for it. Get that kid. That CV is going to be wild yeah. in 18 years. Wow, watch like, out. Breaking ceilings <laughs> that are incredibly easy to break uh, and just nobody has yet. Um, well, easy to it's easy to walk a baby into the General Assembly. I'm sure it is not easy to have a baby and be a leader of a powerful country in the world. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. Some accomplishments are very big. <laughs> Speaking of breaking ceilings, uh, the baby did break nothing, but um, her partner allegedly, according to uh, sources from Stephen Colbert's show, yes, <laughs> Jacinda herself uh, knocked over a flagpole while uh, Jacinda was doing some um, some politics with, with the... Uh, the president of the United States. Yes, but no international incident seems to have been caused. Um, if you want deeper coverage of what happened at the UN, I would definitely recommend looking it up. We are not doing it this week. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. The The Phases of the Moon is an old segment that only our OG listeners will remember. <laughs> uh, so we don't cover the UN anymore. But it was it was great when we did. I had a lot of fun with that segment the one time we did it uh, <laughs> on the first ever episode of Probably About Politics. Um, but this week we gotta we gotta get into it because um, this is huge. Yeah, we got 150 ish million people in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got 27 thousand people running for office at all levels. 
And we got yep. a general election coming up. If you're not talking about Brazilian politics, you should be talking about Brazilian politics. What are you talking about if you're not talking about Brazil? Yeah, I don't know. Search the headlines and find out, I guess. But I don't think anything big is happening otherwise. Not that I can, not that I can think of. So where to start? I think anytime, anything that I've been reading about Brazil and for the past, I feel like four or five years, there's just been a slow churn of news about corruption in Brazil and impeachment and change in power and people in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we to frame what's going on, that that's where we should start. And I think you should in particular start. There, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, like, so not to say that most of the elections we covered don't require context, but this election, yeah, really feels like you need to probably go back to at least 2015. Um, But it's important to know, I guess, that the party that is currently in power, the Workers' Party, uh, is sort of um, this, like, very popular leader, Lula da Silva, who sort of got elected there, was wildly popular, introduced really important policies in Brazil, like the Bolsa Familia, which is like a credit given to poor income families um, if they get their their children vaccinated and send them to school, which is important to a lot of people in Brazil in terms of their being able to feed their families. And that means that for the past 20 years or so, like these sort of leftist social policies and the personality of this uh, Lula, as he's very popular, know, popularly known in Brazil, have kind of been the leadership. And then if you were following it at all, in 2015, there was a pretty big scandal that implicated all a lot of politicians from all the parties in a very like a, a corruption scandal that actually did see bi- uh, very powerful businessmen, very powerful politicians ending up in prison. Da Silva himself is actually currently uh, in prison for corruption charges. Like those, still quite power or quite well liked. Yes, yeah. So he's yeah. I mean, we'll probably get into it, but uh, he was actually trying to run for office uh, for the presidency and, until it was kind of decided that um, based on the laws, it, you probably couldn't run if you have a uh you're in prison and you have a previous uh criminal background um so and he also already had his two terms in office is there uh are there term limitations in brazil yeah i mean i don't really know i that didn't seem to be mentioned as the barrier but it yeah yeah <laughs> the the barrier really seemed to be the criminal background yeah, uh, the issues. fact that he was in jail. Yeah, and so that actually meant that sort of his the president at the time was impeached. Pause. His, his successor his, with the workers' party. Yeah, still. his basically yeah his uh, protege successor was impeached and had to step down, and the vice president took took over and has been in power is has record low popularity like. I think it's like 7% or something. Yes. And so, and and Brazil is in definitely in a recession at the moment. And sort of the Workers' Party being both very tied up in this scandal and, the, and just having been in power for a while, the, it means that there's been a real space to kind of blame the leftist socialist parties for Brazil's current situation. Yeah. Um, and for those following along at home, Lula's successor would have been uh, Dilma Rousseff, and her vice president that ran with her 
uh, when she was elected and then took over the presidency as she was impeached is uh, Michelle Turner. For those yeah. of you who want to try and follow along with these uh, changing changing parties. Uh, yeah. And confusingly for me looking into this, um, Dilma Rousseff and Michelle Turner were not part, were not both in the same party no they ran the same slate in 2014 and vice president and president is quite common especially this year for them to be from different parties Mm, yeah yeah so yeah a lot happened and i think in another advertisement of the newsletter we're putting out i will link some of our favorite articles and one of mine will be a pretty good background piece on what, what it was called the car wash scandal yeah yeah, so we'll definitely get you some more information on that. It is incredibly complex, and we could just do the episode on that. that on Operation so, Car. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we could essentially leave it at that, is that there was this scandal. Yeah. Uh, there was, it, was, it was initially a money laundering scandal that then turned into vote buying, mm-hmm. potentially, and bribery, and uh, Lula himself having a oceanside apartment <laughs> gifted to him yeah um and the awarding of contracts to uh construction firms uh with inflated prices mm-hmm. and moving money but anyway but yeah <laughs> and just like the way it is really important is that like it it touched every like sector of like sort of the power of uh the like people with power in brazil in in terms of politics and corporate and um but it seems to have really hit the workers party and that's a big factor in terms of voting issues this time around so that's for this is what you should probably take from it i guess yeah, it was a it was a nonpartisan uh scandal <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> <laughs> there was this corruption uh but now we're having a new election mm-hmm. and the incumbent president uh is deeply unpopular yeah and not running for re-election i don't think but yeah, easy. Seven percent. Yeah, you could call that pretty pretty unpopular. The uh, the candidate for the current for Michelle Turner's party currently the Brazilian Democratic Movement is uh, Henrique Meirelles. Mm. And I think so. There's a lot of candidates. Probably in terms of what we want to really focus on, we probably want to look primarily at the leading two because they're the the only ones that really I think stand a chance of making it to the uh, the second round of voting. But I guess we could explain. The voting process in Brazil. Yeah. Um, so the presidential election that happens mm-hmm. is first past the post, two rounds of voting. So the top two will go on to the second round, and then it'll most likely be a runoff between uh, Bolsonaro and uh, Fernando Haddad of the um, Social Liberal Party, which yes. confusingly uh, is a conservative party, <laughs> and uh, Haddad, who is part of the uh, Workers' Party, who was the party of Lula and then the party of uh, Rousseff as well. Yeah, so they're two pretty different candidates. Um, and, I mean, they're polling, like, ultimately pretty close. Like, Bolsonaro is at 28%, I think, and Haddad is 22%. So, like, nobody is likely to win the majority in the first round, but... Yeah, and so it should be noted that in 2014, the two... The uh, the second round of voting was exceptionally close as well, with uh, f- less than uh, it was like forty eight uh, yeah. and a half to fifty one and a half vote split between the in the second round for the presidency. So it's by no means I I, I don't think there's really a, a clear front runner mm-hmm. at this point. Bolsonaro is ahead, but who knows what happens? But 
once there's only two people running, right? There's so there's so many candidates right now that votes could fall. Yeah. <laughs> essentially, anywhere. and it's definitely important to note that in and we'll get into why this is, but with Bolsonaro, he has like a very high like I don't remember what the word is, but but basically there's a high number of people who just like will not vote for him so may default to Haddad mm-hmm. you know he's a high rejection rate basically in terms of so that's where he's pretty vulnerable but we'll get into that I guess I mean I think we can talk about it now um if we're talking about Bolsonaro and then we can maybe mm-hmm. move into uh the other levels of government once we talk about once you talk about him uh he's currently in hospital yeah <laughs> yeah that's a... um there was an assassination attempt against him at one of his rallies and he was at, he was stabbed and moved to hospital uh shortly after where he remains yet still polling very well yeah so yeah he has been hasn't been able to actually physically be doing the campaigning but yeah he still uh he remains uh pretty popular probably in a lot of ways uh this rallied a bit of support for him uh i guess unfortunate cons or like unfortunate situation somewhat of a good consequence for him in some ways (laughs) although you don't want that to happen to you obviously yeah and well he's had some he's had like reasonably steady growth in Mm -hmm. uh his candidacy and so the kind of the difficult thing for haddad is that lula was running for the workers party Mm -hmm. right and then haddad had to then kind of take over the the candidacy so there hasn't been really a a face associated with the workers party there's been this turbulence and as we know again the rising tide of the right it seems yeah (laughs) with bolsonaro Um, but there is quite a lot of opposition to him as well yeah um, especially due to the the electorate makeup in brazil yeah so like the interesting thing about about uh i guess da silva is that he was actually still he was very popular even though he was a candidate who was essentially going to prison like they sort of knew that was going to happen and he you know wasn't likely to be cleared to to run um so the fact that haddad is is backed by him is still pretty important and um i think if it's it's the type of thing that if da silva says you should vote for him that will that will eventually carry that will carry a lot of weight for a lot of Brazilians. But yeah, and then and Bolsonaro is he's very divisive, and I think a lot of people are sort of saying he's toned himself down a lot, and that's part of the reason that he's been able to sort of gradually like get people who are you know increasingly dissatisfied uh, with the the Workers Party's sort of reign on things for a very long time. But he definitely like he's a far right populist. He's you know, and and in uh something that makes me a bit nervous, and I think should be flagged is he uh is some he has been somewhat vocal in the past about being supportive of Brazil's previous military dictatorship, and I think was actually just this week kind of quoted as saying like he won't accept any election result that isn't him winning because he believes it will be as a result of uh, electoral fraud or something like that. So that's like yeah. kind of concerning. And there is kind of a feeling of uh, unfairness, right? Due to Bolsonaro's party, uh, he has quite, he has only a small amount of free TV time mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for his campaigning due to the, the allocation of free TV uh, yes. advertising time uh, is based on the current electorate size. Yeah. And Bolsonaro has only seconds a day, essentially, yeah. while uh, Haddad has quite a bit more free time mm-hmm. due to the presence of the Workers' Party. Yeah. And so that kind of affects the the people's view, especially with their quite also high rejection rates of Haddad mm-hmm. due to the deep un- unhappiness with uh, the Workers' Party that's been kind of growing over the last uh, 
four years ish. Yeah, I think yeah, Bolsonaro definitely has a pretty like he he's his party is pretty small to begin with. He he has yeah he has a very much has an underdog uh thing that he has going for him and like yeah the, the, it does seem like everything's against him in going to get this but then also like i mean just some of the his views on on crime are quite extreme in terms of of what he thinks people should be allowed to you should be allowed mm-hmm. to do to prisoners but this is definitely pretty popular in brazil because they've had a lot of issues with addressing crime in several parts of the country uh, and it really like high murder rates really impacting communities so they're looking for somebody to sort of take very strong action in a number of areas being like being crime being the economy mm-hmm. and in and in some ways I think that there is a bit of a bit of looking back on the the dictatorship like sort of fondly in in the way that you, we see happening in other countries like when things aren't kind of going well and you you can sort of forget the bad parts the things that you know were at risk which I mean mm-hmm. I think is very clearly threatened by what we know to be some pretty deeply misogynistic views from Bolsonaro. Um, he's cert- he's really anti-immigrant with specific racial factors in this anti-immigrant stance. Uh, he's anti-LGBT, mm-hmm. uh, just like very, these very strong views that, but yeah. for the, for the young sort of working to middle upper class, I think that, that this is more easily brushed aside maybe. Yeah. I mean, to give sort of some quotes from him, only one of which I'm actually going to say. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they're bad. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's wild. In uh, 2015, he's quoted as saying, women should be paid less than men because they get pregnant. Yes. End quote. That's that's it. Uh, and um, some other horrible things that I don't want to be able to have a soundbite of me saying (laughs) um, to quote him. But just yeah, just absolutely horrible and so this has obviously led to quite a bit of backlash in this whole not him banner that these women are marching under uh this week and last week huge huge protests organized by women against him. yeah so Uh, yeah and we were talking about this before we started but like i think the the women aspect of this is actually really interesting to talk about because they they make up 52 percent of the electorate and they have a very high rejection rate i think like 13 percent of women are willing to say that they'd vote for him where it's like whereas 34 percent of men are willing to say that they will yeah know. and that's that's not including the undecided yeah that say yeah that they will. yes yeah so there are more than 34 percent of people of men yes, who, are, yeah. who could vote for him so that that that's bolsonaro in a nutshell <laughs> um currently campaigning from from the hospital uh, yeah. based around uh, <laughs> all of these pretty shocking things to yeah. read about him and what he said. But, uh, yeah. Notably, in his entire electoral program, he mentions uh, women and women's issues, but once. Yeah, I think that was, uh, yeah. Promising harsher sentences for convicted rapists. But he was, you know, he was, uh, They said, I think I read somewhere that he was the fastest able to raise one million reyes in donations from the public. So there's there's ground support for sure. Uh, there is. Um, so if we want to just continue in this vein of the women's issues, then past Bolsonaro, it's kind of a there is a, an issue in Brazilian politics and potentially um, uh, larger in the society mm-hmm. uh, of in in politics, uh, especially though of underrepresentation. Yeah. With 
something like 27,000 Brazilians who are running for office. Mm -hmm. Only uh, 30% of those are women. 4% of those candidates are black. And uh, in this article specifically about a uh, transgender woman running for office, Mm. uh, 0.2% are transgender of those 27,000 Brazilians running. Yeah, so the numbers aren't the numbers aren't great and yeah like i said uh like i i also noted in another article they were really talking about how like not just uh bolsonaro no one is really talking about women's issues gender is not at all mentioned Mm -hmm. and there is just generally a lack of women running in any of the leadership sort of spaces yeah for numbers to to those to those ideas 13 of 81 current senators are women and only 54 of 513 chamber of deputies are women right now so 10 to 20 percent of those of those levels of government interestingly uh from like a, a systemic kind of point of view the government is now requiring parties that are running to before for um other levels of government there's a proportional representation mm-hmm. uh type of type of voting that goes on uh, with open list proportional representation and so and with mandatory voting as well we can just say <laughs> yeah yes they um, also have mandatory voting yeah and that so women had to be on the list but this year there's it requires 30 percent of campaign funds mm-hmm. to be directed towards female candidates rather than just having women on the ballot yeah as placeholder names that there actually has to be money put towards these candidates they have to be supported by the party mm-hmm. and they have to have like a legitimate shot at being elected to try and combat this um this discrimination yeah which that's like it's a really interesting effort at trying to combat it, it i think it, it's interesting the way that it has translated into the the way that the who looks like they will get elected this time and and how that's going it, it, it'd be interesting to see what the net result of it is in the afterwards i think additionally like I said, like when you have a population that is is majority, like fifty two percent of the electorate is women, that think that that would result mm-hmm. into in more of their their presence at the voting level. And I think something else that makes that even more interesting to think about is um, sort of was mentioning this to you before as well the uh, not him movement, which is like yeah. I think the they were like the Facebook group is is huge it's organizing women at a at a community levels and nationally i think against uh bolsonaro specifically um and has been really endorsed um i by many brazilian sort of celebrities female celebrities and stuff um taking action against this it'd, it'd be interesting to see if this sort of political movement by women in terms of protest because this hashtag i think is quite the hashtag in portuguese i can't say because i don't speak portuguese but is quite popular and being used it'd be interesting to see if this this results maybe not in this election but in the next election in greater uh female electoral participation and if if you want to find that hashtag it is uh hashtag e-l-e-n-a-o yes uh is the is the term being used for not him in portuguese We'll try and maybe stick an article in there as well. There's been a f- several interesting sort of opinion pieces about what is happening there in the newsletter. Mm-hmm. If you are interested to follow up on it, I think, yeah, two two candidates who are front runners in this though both have uh, very high rejection rates from the other side. Yes, half the people just want want somebody new, and they're angry at the Workers Party who's been in power for so long. Yeah, uh, and the other half don't want a uh, man who has said some pretty horrible things which 
I mean, he's allowed to say all this stuff and people say that he's done all these things and he said, I've never incited hate. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> they said, they said Bolsonaro hates gays, black people and women. Show me an audio or a video where I'm attacking someone. And yeah. it's, it's like, so that is the level that is required for, I guess, him to take ownership of, of these things is that you literally need to have a video of him <laughs> physically yeah. attacking somebody which uh, just yeah it's a bit yeah a bit crazy but i think that um it's and you see it it, it is a frustrating i can you can sympathize though because i mean the since 2015 arguably potentially earlier things have been very tumultuous you don't the, the corruption wasn't just one party it's hard to know who to blame and yeah it, and especially since uh michelle uh Temer took office yes. uh, from Rousseff. There have been like consistent calls for him to step down over and over and over yeah. to resign because and he wasn't he was also, elected to the presidency. Yeah, and, and he, also he was involved. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and just, yeah, the way it's it's so involved, you can see how somebody like Bolsonaro could have appeal. He looks like he in some ways will just like tip the tip the table over, you know, and, and, and you can start again sort of, sort of thing. So essentially... This election in Brazil is hugely important. Brazil is the eighth largest economy in the world. 150 million people live there. It's a huge regional power, obviously, in South America. It's a global player um, at some levels. And it's it's really a massive, massive potential shift in policy yeah. in the country as well. And I think, yeah, and just like it's a big country. There's lots of, I mean, there's probably lessons in it for Canada. There's lessons in it for the world i think to be watching this election and it seems like the type of thing that you could easily miss in today's news but you probably it's worth knowing that this is what is happening in latin america such a major shift potentially um so keep track of it it's uh when when the first round is october 7th yeah so this so a few days after this coming out uh there should be an election happening in brazil so there'll just be even more news out at that point where you can check out what's happening down south mm-hmm. for a little bit of interesting news especially on our constant crusade against first past the post voting system oh yes yes <laughs> uh the new brunswick provincial election in canada happened last week there is still no definitive government that's been chosen which is ironic in a first-past-the-post system whose uh, primary tenant everybody always champions is it provides stability in government. Yes. You immediately know who your government is, um, and that's not the case right now. I'm really, uh, this is exciting. We're breaking some rules about what we're willing to cover in the podcast to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this is shocking. <laughs> it, was a, it was a crazy election. Um, I guess to reveal a little bit about myself, Alex can make a choice about this. I voted and am from New Brunswick, so I voted in that election. Y- you and many other people voted in this election. Yeah. There's pretty good turnout. Yeah. With... <laughs> It, but I guess it doesn't matter how many people vote because no. the uh, liberals led by Brian Gallant won the popular vote with almost 38% popular support. Yes. Uh, but only won 21 seats in the legislative assembly. Yeah. Uh, while Blaine Higgs's PC uh, party won only 32% of the popular vote, but with much more efficiency in their elections to have 22 total seats won. And two third parties, the People's Alliance and the Green Party, each winning historically three yes. seats in the legislature getting a pretty good turnout for themselves which is is quite different for i think a lot of canadian election a lot of canadian provincial elections don't 
usually mm-hmm. have uh, third good third-party turnouts like that. The, mo- the most interesting part is that, at least for me, is that the liberals, having been the current party in power, mm. get to try to form government first. Yeah, as a rule, right? yeah. But generally, people uh, in New Brunswick history, the entire time, it's just been whoever gets the most seats mm-hmm. that forms government, yeah. potentially as minority uh, government, which a minority government hasn't happened in almost 100 years in New Brunswick. No. <laughs> um, yeah, they usually flip it. The most like important detail really in forming government is that if the PC party does form government, mm-hmm. they then lose a vote once they um, nominate someone as the Speaker of the House. Yeah. And so then the PCs will go down to only having 21 votes mm-hmm. to the Liberals' 21 votes yes. with the NDP or with the Green having three votes that would probably go to the Liberals and the People's Alliance having three votes that would most likely go to the PCs. Yeah. And you would essentially deadlock on every single issue and it would be pretty much a vote-by-vote vote basis trying to get anything passed. Yeah. So it's like, so what you hope for is that they'll, they'll find a way to work together and get things done <laughs> but i think yeah realistically we're looking at a, a a situation that seems pretty unstable and and mm-hmm. could be pretty divisive for new brunswick i know that there was a very big uh french english divide and with new brunswick being the only bilingual province that is a big deal for there to be such a divide mm-hmm. there um a huge north south divide liberals yeah. essentially being elected um, across the board in the north in the mm-hmm. French region of the province and conservatives all over the south with uh, the Fredericton region electing um, some conservatives, <laughs> uh, a green, and two people aligned. Yeah, so a real mishmash in the uh, greater Fredericton area. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's a little worrying like to have something be that unstable and then also be so divisive. It it probably in, in other situations we have looked at that doesn't spell future stability that their next elections will be more potentially be more difficult um and result in more potentially further left or further right candidates uh divisive campaigning that sort of thing so it's it is significant that it's uh and speaking of next next campaigns and elections yes what what kind of odds are you placing on another election being called uh within the next 18 months in new brunswick uh within the next 18 months i say very very high very very high uh, in in my opinion i have not i should do a better job of reading up on it but i it, i don't see how it doesn't happen do you see do you see any throne speech getting support from the legislator that comes that comes forward in the next that could potentially come forward in the next month um if you yeah if if you have any confidence in the leadership then you would hope that they could you know find a way recognize that they're going to need to make something work and then you would say yes um, but this does say something about my confidence that I would be doubtful that that happens. And which party do you think will make that throne speech? Do you think it will be the conservatives or the liberals making that throne speech? I suspect just because the liberals get the first shot that it'll probably be the liberals. Do you think the lieutenant governor will, will I, allow the liberals a shot at it? Or just, do you think he'll pass? Um, I suspect he'd give them a shot at it because of sort of the, the way that the president the precedent generally works is that the mm-hmm. government who was previously in power gets gets the first swing at it. That's really just my suspicion. Um, a minor correction there. The uh, lieutenant governor of New Brunswick is a woman, Jocelyn yes. Roy uh, Vienno. Yes. <laughs> and we did say he by accident, so let the record show. <laughs> in case you are very up to date on lieutenant governors at the provincial level. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess from here we'll wrap it up 
we're going a little long on this one, but there's yes. a whole lot going on. There's a lot going on. Close to um, home and also uh, in South America. Yeah. For our international listeners, uh, of which I'm sure we have many, I hope that you enjoyed a little insight into our local politics. And so with that, keep the tweets coming at Prob Politics. Yeah. Find us on SoundCloud or Google Play Music and uh, send us any questions you may have via email at probablyaboutpolitics at gmail.com and give our newsletter a read. Make sure if you get the newsletter there, uh, it, it's there's a lot of info jam-packed and sometimes you have to, there's a little button at the bottom, you have to click to see more mm-hmm. to see all of the potential there's we have a few articles in there for you folks to read that may cover the election that we're covering or something um some other interesting piece of political news that kaylee and i have read uh and also there will be that uh small piece by a guest writer on romania yes we're very excited new content (laughs) and with that thank you for listening to probably about politics find us back here uh with another episode probably next month yeah on soundcloud